0: So I was in a bit of a strange place as I was looking at the calendar this year. If I can just kind of pull the curtain back a little bit. I, a number of years ago, stopped preaching individual messages. There was something inside of me that just didn't feel like I was staying long enough on a topic for it to really make any decent amount of good or really decent impact. And so I started shifting to where I would basically preach all sermon series and that would just kind of be the way that we would go. The reason being is that week, if that particular week I had a lot more to say and I looked at my watch and I was like, "Uh uh-oh, I've run out of time, I could say, you know what, I'll pick it up next week and not make you guys stay any longer than I already do, right? And then there are a lot of other things. It just seemed like every time I would preach something, I would have more to say the week after it was done. Oh, I wish I would have said And if we were preaching and teaching in sermon series, I could just pick it right back up and go forward. This particular sermon series, Modern Family Values, has been the most difficult for me of all the sermon series that I've had to share. And the reason is just because of the logistics of it. If you guys know, We've had Graduate Sunday. We've had Mother's Day. We've had Father's Day. We've had Camp Sunday as we celebrate that. And so it just has felt like we've been on again and off again and on again and off again. And I never wanted to feel like one is dragging along, but it, we had guests last Sunday. Eric preached for me last Sunday because we had a, a vacation plan. It just has seemed like we haven't had an opportunity for this to flow the way that it normally does. So I wanna say, I'm, I'm sorry for that, I apologize for that. It has not been my intention and I think most of the time these things flow really well and kinda come to their very neat landing. A couple of weeks ago, we started chatting with the people who had gone to camp and I wanted to take every moment that we had to share what was going on in God, you know, moving in their lives and all of that stuff. And I know but no, nobody is gonna kind of complain if they don't hear me preach because they'll come back the next week and I'll get to it. Today, I want to land this sermon series and I'm starting a brand new one next Sunday. I'm very excited about the next one, but I'm also excited about bringing this one to a landing point. This one having to do with modern family values, what's important to pass along, plus exactly how do we pass it along. And in some of these things, Teachings. I've been focusing some on parenting. But today I want to talk about parenting, but I also want to mention it really works with these same principles in relationships. I'm going to be sharing a movie with you guys that talks about some of the relationship issues that kind of are in your modern family as well. And so all of these things that I share with you, I hope will help bring this to a close and bring this to an end in a way that will put a bow on it. But let me just share with you, next week, we're going to begin, it's going to be called Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, His Life, and His Letters. And I encourage you, if you'd like to go deeper, you can read a book that is written by Chuck Swindoll called Paul a man of grace and grit and uh, it is a great book that shares about his life and his letters and we'll be going through this for a number of weeks and it will build each week on top and i hope that you will be here for each sunday as we go through the life of the apostle paul see what he has written and kind of weave that together in a narrative about this man who has one of the biggest impacts on the new testament of anyone But here's where we've been so far, and it's just been, uh, as I said, just a little back and forth, but we talked about grit, then we had Mother's Day, we've talked about positive attitude and character and value, and then today we're going to talk about just kind of bringing this all to a conclusion. And I don't want to take a whole lot of time, but I do want to talk a little bit about where we've been, as well as some things that you and I need as we move forward. Now, one of the things that I try to do each teaching series is I try to put one to remember, a a, a memory verse, if you will, that you could look at and say, if I'm looking at this particular memory verse, this is something that I can memorize myself, and also it pertains to the things that we've been preaching about. So if we go to our next slide, this is that one to remember. As Paul writes, I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near." I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. From 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 6 and 7. Incredibly inspiring words for sure, but what I want to do and how I want to do it is a little different. Normally I'll have Paul or Eric up here or Peter when he's able to be here uh, to to read this passage of scripture, but I hope you have 2 Timothy chapter 4 on your phones or in your Bibles if you brought them. We're going to go to this passage, but then we're gonna go a little further because there's a lot to learn as well as some inspiration to take from what Paul had to say as his life drew to a close. Now, this is what is called or known as a prison epistle. In other words, this, another word for epistle is letter. Uh, the prison epistles or the prison letters include Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, but also 2 Timothy as well. And it's not always grouped together because these others are kind of seen in one group and then Second Timothy in a later group, and here is why. And that's our something to learn as we go to our next slide. Most biblical scholars believe that the apostle Paul was imprisoned twice, at least twice. The first detailed in Acts chapter 28, but then scholars believe that he was released and then later rearrested, brought to Rome where he was eventually beheaded by Emperor Nero in approximately 65 AD. Second Timothy 4 details what are believed to be Paul's final written words. You guys understand what's going on? He wrote a lot of these prison epistles in Acts chapter 28 as he was out of commission for two full years. But then he was released, more than likely, and then was rearrested. And at the end of his life, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you begin to read it, as we will in a moment, you can hear Paul looking back over his life. And that one to remember that we began with is powerful. He says, I look back over my life, and I've fought a good fight, I've run a good race, and I've kept the faith. This is a mantra that all of us want as we face our last few days on this earth. We want to be able to say, I've kept the faith, I've run a good race, I've done what I knew I needed to do. But then, if you can imagine Paul in a cell, writing some of his last recorded words, things take a shift from the inspiring to the vulnerable. And we're gonna read that in just a moment and you'll see exactly what I'm saying. He is saying these things and I don't think he's putting them on. I don't think he's blustering and trying to be somebody he's not. I think he really did say, I fought the good fight, I finished the race and I've kept the faith and this makes me incredibly proud. But here I sit in this prison and dungeon cell and I realize that the time of my departure from this life is at hand. In other words, I've only got days left, maybe weeks, and here's what I have in my mind. Here's what's going through my mind. So we go to this next slide and we go back to that one to remember. He said all of these inspiring things, ending in 2 Timothy 4 6 and 7. Let's go to verse 8 and read where it shifts from being inspiring to maybe a little bit more vulnerable. Let's go to our next slide here. Uh, And um, there we go. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And then here is where the vulnerable shift comes in. Do your best to come to me quickly. He's writing this to Timothy, his son in the ministry. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. And then in verse 11, Christian has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia and only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. There's a lot here that isn't real evident on the surface. But did you see the vulnerable shift that I was talking about? How he's talking about some things that sound pretty inspiring but here is what I want to share with you. When I come to the end of my own days, and when you come to the end of your days, you will think about your faith, you will think about your accomplishments, and those things will be important to you. But you also want to be surrounded by the people that you love. And as Paul who has a resume that beats everyone that I know. I mean, literally, his resume as a Christian wins over everybody's that I could even imagine putting up against. He shifts and he says, can you bring some people to me to see me before I pass? I've had people that I thought would be with me at the end of my life and they've deserted me. Can you bring... John Mark, who we had this huge falling out that's detailed in the book of Acts. Can you bring him to me? He's an important young man in my life. Can you bring him to me to see me before I die? What I want to share with you, the reason that modern family values is an important thing for me to put a bow on is that no matter what you accomplish in your life, no matter how long your resume is, When you are at the end of your life, you will begin to think about those people that matter the most, not the things that you've done that impressed others the most. Now, you may be saying, well, Randy, how do you know? Well, I don't know everything. I promise I don't know everything, but one thing I do tend to do is I do tend to look, and I do tend to watch, and I do tend to take note And when I served in hospice for about five straight years and I was literally in the room when people passed from this life to the next and when I was literally there whenever individuals had just passed in the matter of the last five hours or so or those who were literally there in a bed and I watched them, talked to them, they cared most about the people in their life not how much their bank account said, and all of these things that we talk about and think about and let consume us. So I'm here to tell you today, as we put a bow on this thing, as we bring this thing to a close, I don't know where your relationships are. But the reason that I couldn't just simply move on and say, now it's on to the Apostle Paul. I had to talk about this and put a bow on this and bring this back to your attention one last time. That ultimately, it matters who you have in your life. And it matters now while you are full of activities and your schedule is full. But if ever, figuratively, you find yourself alone like the Apostle Paul did at the end of his life, he was inspired at what he had done, but he was still reaching out for those who mattered in his life. And I do not want you guys, who I know are intelligent, wise, spiritual people, to come to the end of your life and say, you know what? I should have rebuilt that relationship when I had the chance. I should have started redoing these things. I knew I had this issue with this person, whether that's a parent or a sibling or a child or whoever it may be all the way down the list or even with a spouse or whatever it may be. These things can be resolved. It doesn't mean everything goes back and everything's perfect and there's no scars, but they can have healing added to them, but that does not happen automatically. And so I want to encourage you as we look at Paul, as he leaves this world and moves to the next, how did he change that narrative and how did he put a bow on things as he puts the finishing touches on a great life. So don't miss this. I want to just share this with you. At the end of your life, you will be concerned most by far about your close relationships, children, grandchildren, friends, spouses, you know, parents, grandparents, all of these things. Make sure you have maintained those relationships or now are working to repair them while you still have time. And again, one more thing. I had this happen tons of times where I would talk to a a child or I would talk to an individual who was coming to the end of their life and they would be facing that end of life issue. And they would say to me, I don't want to leave until I've had this conversation with my son, with my daughter I don't want to leave until I've had this conversation with my dad or with my mom. It's not been easy, but I want to have that conversation. (laughs) You guys know I share this story of Andy Stanley and share so much of his teaching. He's got incredible wisdom and incredible insight. I want to show you something that he wrote and he has said. He said, we parented our kids with this goal in mind. We wanted them to decide that when they didn't have to have us around, they would still want us around. And I believe this is one of those opportunities for us to look about long-term rather than getting caught up in the middle of short-term. And it's so interesting because as often is the case, this incredible man of God has an incredible woman behind him that uh, just shares so much wisdom, but probably never gets to the microphone, so to speak. But his wife named Sandra, she wrote a, a article for Focus on the Family, and I want to share this with you. Andy and Sandra Stanley navigated their years as parents of children in the home, through the use of four general stages of parenting. So if you go to this next slide, I believe that it shares this. The four stages of parenting, according to Sandra Stanley, first of all, the discipline years, parenting zero to five-year-olds. You had no idea until you had a child how many times you could say the word don't or no in a single day. Can I get an amen? I mean, do you remember? It's like every single thing that no no don't don't, no you know, every time you turned around, it was no, 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 don't do, you know, all the time. And then as they get a little older it changes. But here's what we know disciplining, those disciplining years, parenting zero to five year olds, during this stage, we begin to teach our kids that there are consequences for their behavior. But then we go to the training years of ages five to 12, and parenting five to 12-year-olds, for this age group, we concentrated on putting the why behind the what of our family's rules and expectations. In other words, they taught their kids zero to five, you don't do this, you do do that, all the way down the line. But then when you're in the training years, you start telling them, this is why we don't do this. And this is why we do choose to do that. And so, I don't know. I know that some of you guys, you don't have kids of this age. Some of you do. But some of you have grandchildren of this age. I've still got a grandson, brand new grandson, that's only about three months old. So, I'll be dealing with him in the discipline years. Now, Thank God I don't have to discipline him the way that I had to discipline my kids. It'll be a little different. I had a friend that told me one time, uh, grandchildren are God's reward if you don't kill your own kids first, right? So I thought that was pretty well true. So yes, this is where we will be in the next five years or so. And then another one will probably come along and on and on. But then you move, notice, from age five to 12 you move to the coaching years from age 12 to 18. Notice this, parenting happens a bit more through advice from the sidelines with the relationship moving towards connecting rather than correcting. I'm gonna say that one more time. Parenting happens a bit more through our advice from the sidelines while the relationship moves towards connecting rather than correcting. Now I'm sharing some important stuff and now I'm just gonna start meddling a little bit. If you still parent your child as they're constantly in training and never in coaching, then they will remain emotionally immature. You have to let them go and you have to let them make some bad decisions that will hurt them some or else you will always be setting them up for a huge problem later. Because you and I both know we make a few small mistakes that leave a few small scars, or we make a big, huge one that leaves a big, huge scar. Can I get an amen, right? I mean, that's just the way that we are. And so if you don't intentionally start giving your children more and more leash, more and more rope, then you will constantly be worried about the big thing that's coming up. And then I want you to notice the last stage there, the friendship years, ages 18 to end of life. As adults, we enjoy one another's company and process life together. Many times, Andy, this is Sandra, Sandra and Andy referred back to this framework to remind us to adjust everything from daily routines to methods of discipline as we encouraged our kids to progress towards more independence and more responsibility. So how did this look? In those early discipline years, when one of our kids didn't obey, ran through a crowded parking lot, Correcting bad choices happened immediately. During the training years, more explanations were given along with that correction, and by the time we reached the coaching years, our responses to our kids' bad choices were guided in conversation. These stages are our roadmap, a nudge towards giving our kids more independence, a check and balance against the helicopter parent, and they slowly gave us means for giving our children a growing responsibility for their side of the relationship. This is so important and so vital. I would encourage you, if you are dealing with a younger person, anybody, I would say 18 years or younger, don't miss this opportunity to shift in your mindset. And does there anything that jumps out to you? I, I don't know if you guys are seeing this, but I look at this and I realize how short each one of those is except for the last one, and how long that last one is. You see what I'm saying? Like age 18 to end of life. <laughs> when I had kids that were in diapers and we were working to potty train our girls and stuff like that, it's like when Lord will this ever end. I pay $358 in diapers every two weeks. What are we doing? Right? What is happening? And then formula and all of this other stuff, you know? It just felt like that. But then suddenly, they were off to kindergarten and they had friends that I didn't know. And all of these things changed change it and shift. All of it, it happened immediately. Now, I'm in the friendship years with my kids. I've got a 22-year-old, I've got a 26-year-old, and I've got a 27-year-old. And I'm with them as much as I possibly can, but I am their friend more than their father, but I never give up that fathering role because they only have one dad. They can have many friends. Well, I again share with you, this is important. As you come to the end of your life, this will be vital for you. So let's go to our big idea, and I wanna share this with you. You build your family by consistently connecting with every member of it. You build your family by consistently connecting with every member of it. And I just want to say one other thing here. You may be saying, but the problem is, is that I don't always get along. And sometimes when I connect, it's just another blow up. My kids don't all think like I do. They don't all believe exactly the things that I want them to believe with the same level of passion and all that stuff that I do want for them. It's just they're different people. But here's what I do know I know that the minute that I stop connecting with them, that's when my influence begins to diminish and eventually will. You know what I'm about to say? It ends if I stop connecting with them because of frustrations with them, then I no longer have an opportunity to pour into them and be blessed by them. And you guys know as well as I do, there are a lot of times in our lives when we were younger that we were still trying to find our footing and we didn't know exactly what we believed and we needed somebody to help us and give us some grace and some of the stupid things that we thought that eventually became seasonal and moving on, they were not a part of us forever, but if we were treated that way, the distance stayed, even when the craziness ended. You guys understand what I'm saying? I I didn't say that well, but I hope you guys understand what I mean. So real quickly, I want you guys, if y'all would, to just say this out loud with me. This is our big idea. If you guys would say it with me on the count of three. Ready, one, two, three build your family by consistently connecting with every member of it. All right, let's keep moving here. Where is Jesus in this passage that we just read from Paul's words? Jesus is there as our righteous judge who gives us the crown of righteousness when he returns to give us eternal life, and he examines and judges the deeds of our life. So Jesus is here in this passage as he is in all of them. And can I just back up just one more little notch or one little tick here? <laughs> you know, I just said a minute ago, well, I don't wanna connect with them constantly because sometimes it's really hard and frustrating. You guys heard me say that. And you guys probably had that you know, resonate with you because sometimes you're off the same page, I'm gonna talk more about that in just a moment, but I wanna share this with you. When Paul wrote those words, you guys know the story that he was a partner ministry-wise with John Mark, but John Mark disappointed him. He left him while he was out in one of the most difficult circumstances that he could face. He was out trying to plant a church and he was out there kind of on the fringes and it was in physical danger and John Mark couldn't take it. He said, I've had all I can take. I'm at my limit. I'm leaving. And Paul was like, don't you dare walk out that door. This this is in my mind in the New Texas version, okay? All right, I'm just telling you. Don't you dare walk out that door. I'm going, don't you dare. And he did. And then they had this huge disagreement even among the people who were surrounding these two friends. So these two friends couldn't get along and even the others who took sides it started breaking their situation up, and they weren't ministry partners anymore. It's a bunch of Christians acting like everybody else in this world. You know how I know that? Because I'm a Christian, and sometimes I act just like everybody else in this world, just like you do. And so there's this huge blow up, and at the end of his life, Paul doesn't say, you know what? Remind John Mark what a disappointment he is to me, and what a a low life i think he is when he left me at my lowest moment what does he say he says can you bring him back to me can you bring him back to see me he's useful he's a powerful force of good in this world and i want to see him one last time before i leave this world that says something doesn't it that says something powerful so here's what it would tell me as I look to Paul as a man who shows me the way to be more Christ-like. <laughs> I need to be willing to say I was wrong. And even if I'm not willing to say that I was wrong, I need to be willing to say it doesn't matter as much as you do. When I get in an argument with my kids, which happens Because those kids, they've got their own opinions, their own minds, just like I do. And we're not always on the same exact page. When that happens, I have a choice. I can let this be the dividing wall. I can let this be the first line of a wall that gets built between us. Or I can tell you, I don't care as much about this disagreement as I do about You. And the moment that you cease to care more about them, and the moment that you start to care more about this, then you cease to have that opportunity to connect with them. That's why the big idea was keep connecting over and over and over again. Doesn't mean you have to bring everything. I'm, I'm. You know what? I started to say something. I'm not going to say it because I'm about to say it in a minute. So I'm going to keep moving forward. And I would just share this with you. And if you're young or if you have kids that are younger, still at home frequently in your, in your life or if they come home, can I encourage you to do something? Have family dinners. Have family dinners every single night. And I know this sounds crazy, but I promise you when we do family dinners now, it's an event <laughs> because they are not in my home anymore. And my three daughters And one son-in-law and now grandson, as my circle grows, it's harder and harder and harder to get everybody together. And so it becomes an event, a happening, a blessing. And I promise you, I promise you, you won't remember what you saw on SportsCenter or on whatever else you DVR'd, but you will remember And be glad that you spent time with your kids as often as you could, uninterrupted, no phones, no TV, none of that stuff. Just put it to the side. Have a family dinner with your kids. I promise later you'll wish you had and you'll wish you had more chances to do it now today just like I do. All right, Mark chapter two, I wanna look at Jesus and I wanna look at him and his example. As we look here It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house. you all know who Levi is? It's Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector before he became a full-fledged disciple. So while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. But when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And then you go to the next slide. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Do you know what I want to point out about this passage of scripture? Here is Jesus, the sinless, perfect son of God. And here are people who were the outcast of proper religious society because they didn't match. What is he doing having lunch and dinner with them? You know what that tells me? That Jesus figured out that you don't always have to have every single idea, mindset, opinion, and practice in common to have fellowship and connection with other people. I don't know who your kids are or who they will become. I don't know who they're becoming right now. But I promise you, with your parents, with your kids, with your siblings, You may not always agree on everything, but you can always do your part to connect. And anytime that thing that comes up that is going to be a blow up, you can be prepared with the words. You know what? I don't even really want to talk about that. Let's just enjoy our time together and you keep it moving. Because the truth is, is that there will always be things that you don't agree in practice and in principle But if you allow that to be the thing that keeps you apart, then you will no longer have a connection in their life and vice versa. And then, as often is the case, things get lonelier and lonelier and lonelier as you get older and the walls keep getting built around everybody. Scary place to be. All right, let's keep moving here. Actually, I think I've got, is the next slide our movie? All right, let's check this out. I think you guys will get a smile out of this, but also a little bit of insight and little blessing. So let's check it out. The court
1: is now in session. What is your business with the court, sir? Uh, yes, Your Honor. I have been charged with the inability to manage conflict in my marriage, and I'd like to defend myself. So you're the offender? The offended. All right, uh, <laughs> do you have your attorney present with you?
2: He does not have counsel, Your Honor. In fact, he pretty much just does things the way he wants without regard to how it affects other people.
1: Accuse him before it's even your turn. Uh, You must be the prosecutor.
2: I... well... Yes! uh, You get it, right?
1: (laughs) And I get that that is not a good way to deal with conflict resolution. And I am working on that behavior, but apparently it's not good enough for my wife's high standards. So to answer your question, while she thinks she speaks for me, I will be representing myself. And what a fine job you're doing, sir. (laughs) Let me ask you, how do you typically handle conflict? (laughs) That will, huh? Well, apparently I can't say anything right, so I just go dark, stealth, under the radar. Otherwise known as a silent treatment? Tell me, are you easily offended, sir?
2: (laughs) He is, Your Honor, by everything. I have documents to prove this.
1: Ma'am, you'll get your turn.
2: Well, doesn't the prosecutor usually go first? Order. Your Honor, I'm being helpful. Your
1: Honor, does this seem helpful to you? because that's what she says at home right before I start getting yelled at. All right, let's try this from a different angle. Let's talk about your wife's problems. Buckle up, your honor. (laughs) She is kind of an overachiever. Sure, because nothing kills a marriage like overachieving. Prosecutor, what are your charges?
2: Wait, (laughs) I mean, isn't that kind of harsh? I'm just here to make a point. It's not like I'm charging him with his inability to discuss things. Well,
1: you're you're certainly overachieving it. Please present your evidence to the court. Wait, that's it? It seems like so much more when we're arguing.
2: That's because I've presented it a few dozen hundred ways.
1: How do you answer these charges, sir? Your Honor, I love my wife. It's just... When I try to get us out of an argument, I just dig us in deeper.
2: What are you trying to say?
0: Just to interpret, I think he was uh, blaming himself and saying he loves you.
2: That's Rob's brother. He's a hopeless romantic. This is awesome. You can do it. 1 Corinthians 13. (laughs) Look, I can be stubborn when it comes to discussing how wrong he is.
1: She's covert, I'll give her that. Hey, can I say something on her behalf?
2: Sir, you can't testify for the prosecution. Let him speak. Bossy too.
1: (laughs) First of all, this is an amazing woman. She's not bossy. She's confident. And second, I'm sorry. And third, I went to bed angry and I shouldn't have.
2: Honey, I should be the one who needs to say sorry. When I'm in a fight, I'm in it to win it. And that's not right. Uh... I'm so guilty of it.
1: Technically, I'm the only one who can say who's guilty.
0: I think it's a tie. You seriously don't get the way
2: Shush, my husband has the floor.
1: Do we really need a court? To solve this problem. <gasps> I just had the worst dream.
2: Me too. You know,
1: you guys really shouldn't let the sun
0: go down <laughs> on your anger.
2: Your brother needs to move out.
0: No, come on. You guys need me. This is also uh, just to offer that if you have a brother-in-law living with you, let me know. I can, you know, bring friends and we'll throw them out. So let's jump to slide number 21, and we're going to hit this quickly. What to pass along. You are so valuable to me. We don't have to agree. We don't have to have a perfect past, and we don't have to be perfectly in harmony all the time for this to be true. You are so valuable to me. Let's go to our next slide. During Crucial Conversations, and I talked with this in the Communicate teaching series that I shared with you back in February, they talk about how important it is at all times to remember above all other things, the value that you place on that person and how important they are in your life. Because if you lose sight of that, you start doing things, saying things, and acting in ways that you will regret later. So always, above all things, remember that you love that person and that they are valuable to you. You do not want to put in a a, a divide among yourself and them. Let's go to our next slide. So very quickly, as we go to our next slide, uh, it is going to happen. I know what's going on exactly. (laughs) Um, Our little uh, glitch that we have sometimes back there. Here is how we express value. I've got two of these slides. Here's the first one. I am the one who texts, calls, and connects one way or another. And by the way, when I text, call, or all of those things, we don't have to hash out every issue every time. This is important that we never lose sight of what we have in common because most of the time that is the majority rather than the minority of the things that we have. Let's go to our next slide here. Uh, <laughs> I thought this was hilarious. This is just a funny way for you to remember. Make sure and bring up politics at Thanksgiving. is going to save you money on Christmas gifts because nobody's coming. So follow me for more holiday tips, as they say. So let's go to our next slide here. And then this second part, we don't avoid the issues that we may have had. We don't pretend that we didn't have issues, is what I'm saying. If there was a difficult time when you were raising your kid or when you were being raised by your parent, you don't have to avoid that, but it doesn't have to be the only thing. And then I apologize for my part with no excuses. Ultimately, I cannot apologize for someone else's part, but usually I am good at picking out and pointing out somebody else's part and not taking responsibility for my own part. Y'all pray for me. I know I am the only one who does that. Am I right? (laughs) Okay, let's go to our next slide very quickly. I think one more, don't miss this. The whole people don't know how much you uh, care, how much you know until they know how much you care is exponentially true in our parenting and in our family relationships. Any distance that exists can begin to fade with the two, three, four magic words. Do you guys know what the two are? I'm sorry. Sorry. That's two. I love you. That is the three. I'm proud of you. That is the four. If you let these be the thing that you say constantly, even when there exists conflict, you can begin to rebuild a relationship and reconnect with those people. That's the two, three, and four magic words if you'll start using those phrases it will be significant. All right, so our worship team's going to come back up, and we're going to sing one last song as we end. Real quickly, here's the I apply by, and then a quick story. You decide on parenting and a connection strategy that you are consistent with. You don't have to be perfect, but you have to be consistent. Don't get excited and started and then let it all fall. But then secondly, you sow a single positive seed to all of those who are a part of your family and do it this week. It's a small strategy. Don't make it huge. Don't try to rework everything, but just simply be consistent and start small and let it be something that is a blessing in this way. Now, I wanna just share a story as we go to our next slide. I mentioned Annie Stanley earlier If you don't know who Andy Stanley actually is, he's pastor of North Point Church in Atlanta. And if you're an older individual, you might have heard of his father, Dr. Charles Stanley, pastor of First Baptist Church in Atlanta for over 50 years. He founded In Touch Ministries and has been on TV for decades. You guys know, this is a father and a son. So what's very interesting, Dr. Charles Stanley passed away in April. Um... Yeah, I guess that's news to some of you. I, I'm not always up on these things either. But Dr. Charles Stanley passed, and um, he and his son had about a decade or two where there was a lot of tension, where there was being um, a divide between them. And i to be very clear. These are two pastors of megachurches, father and son, who can't seem to get on the same page. So I say what I say with no judgment, no matter who you are, no matter how godly you are or want to be, or even how godly the other person is, it doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy to be connected. You probably will have difficulties and conflicts. That's going to happen. I love this story, and I believe I've got a picture of the, of the thing, and I encourage you to go back and read it. Is there one more on there? Of a, Yeah, go ahead if you don't mind. It's written by CNN. Two preaching giants and the betrayal that tore them apart. It's a long read. It's about 10 minutes, 12 minutes. But it is powerful because both of these men did not see why the other was acting the way that they thought they should and why they couldn't make sense of it all. But the one thing that they did not do was give up on each other and give up on meeting. And I love this. These two men who communicated for a living talked to CNN about how hard it was and how awkward it was to have meals together when they could barely find words and neither one of them was good at chit-chat. But here's what they did say. He said, I kept asking, this is Dr. Stanley. He said, I kept asking Andy to meet me for lunch at the Mexican restaurant. And chips and salsa became our communion. And the healing started flowing because I kept asking and he kept saying yes. And at first it was terribly awkward and very difficult and none of us liked it. Neither one of us enjoyed it and neither one of us looked forward to it, but we both valued it so much that we would not say no. So I look at Paul and as he finishes the race and keeps the faith and shifts to the people who he's done life with and lived his life with, he says, they matter to me. As much as my faith matters and provides me a new home, I want to leave this world on the right terms with the people that I love. I want to pass along some things and I want to do it in a way that is honoring to them because they're a blessing to me. I love that Paul is who he is. And I love that we can identify with that and we can learn a lesson from that. That God is a God who resurrects those things which are dead. Not just Jesus from the tomb, but dead relationships become alive again if we will keep pursuing and keep praying. And I have no idea who I'm talking to today. I don't know each and every relationship that is on life support or having difficulties or has been dead for years. All I know is this, there is no such thing as something that is impossible for God to bring back to life. And I hope he'll do it in your relationships. Heavenly Father, bless each one of us, bless all of us, because we have difficulties, we have difficult relationships, we have conflicts, and we need your strength to provide the life that we cannot And so God, ultimately, may we never pull the plug on connecting with those that are so important. May we convey the value that they have in our life. And may we do that constantly by expressing our love, expressing our pride in them, and then connecting and saying we're sorry when that is necessary. God, bring us to be the people who, like Paul, at the end of our lives, look back and say, these people have added value and richness to my life, and they matter. So bless each one, I pray in Jesus' name.